So, as Jason was mentioning earlier, we're entering into this time of prayer and fasting, and maybe you guys have already been thinking about what you want to give up. I think Jason's suggestions of exercise is, is going to be a really good one for me to give up, too. Um, no, but really, um, as, as we're entering into this time, prayer and fasting, it seems like for most Christians, maybe it was just me, but we usually talk a lot about prayer, and we talk a lot about the different ways we should pray, um, but very little about fasting, and to be honest, today if we hear the word fast, we usually think of a car, um, or we think of, of, of what a fast is, we, we think of a diet regimen, um, maybe something that people use for their health or weight loss. It's becoming a, a popular method, actually, right now for weight loss. Um, and it's, it seems kind of odd for me, the, this depiction of, okay, I'm going to starve my body so that I can feel better. It, it seems odd, but um, just to sort of explain what's happening in your body when you go through a food fast, um, I, I Googled it, and here's a very brief generalized description of what happens to a healthy body whenever you deprive it of food. So in the first six hours, everything's pretty normal. Your body begins to break down glycogen, which stores energy in your body. It breaks it down to glucose, which your cells use as fuel. Around 25% of that energy generated is used just for your brain, and the rest goes to muscles and red blood cells. After six hours, this method of energy production stops as the glycogen starts to run out. Um, this can lead you to being hangry. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced the hangry. Um, but then this is where it really it depends on, I guess, your body or, or who you are. From in between 6 to 72 hours, your body enters into a state called ketosis, and that's when um, it begins, your body is actually fasting or starving. Uh, because that, now there's very little glucose in your blood, your body must begin to break down fat for energy. And that's broken down into fatty acids. However, your brain can't function regularly off of this, and it impairs normal brain function. Beyond 72 hours, your body is basically cannibalizing itself. Without any stores of sugar or fat, your body looks to get energy from other sources and starts to use protein reserves. In one to two weeks, without any vitamins or minerals, the body's immune system starts to shut down, along with any unnecessary bodily functions. And from three weeks to 70 days, starvation can lead to death in as short a time as three weeks or up to 70 days. Now, when I read this, and whenever you hear this, you might say, no, thank you. Um, I like food, and I would usually desire to stay away from practices that involve my body cannibalizing itself. That phrase just does not sound nice. So why in the world does the Bible encourage this affliction? Why did so many heroes of the faith, I mean, Moses, David, Esther, Ezra, Elijah, Anna, Paul, Jesus himself, why did they participate and encourage others to do so? We tend to look at the physical, you know, the pain of giving up food, but we, a lot of times we forget about what's actually happening inside of the person that's fasting. I'm talking about in their mind and in their soul. We look at the Bible for examples of people, and, and we want to try to live like they did and their faith and their dedication. I mean, who doesn't want to be more like one of those incredible men or women that I mentioned. But let me be transparent with you. I know the right answer. I know what I should be doing. But I struggle with living it out. 
You know, I, I, I think about myself, you know, how many times have I started a Bible reading plan and abandoned it, not even midway through? How many quiet times are interrupted with social media breaks? How many times have I made poor choices in just how I invest my time, knowing that I'm not glorifying God? Now, Grant, before you cut my mic and we elect a holier person to come up and speak, um, can we all just address here today that we are flawed? We have flaws in our lives. And actually, let's, let's do this. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, hi, I'm flawed. <laughs> say it. I'm waiting for you guys. I am flawed. Um, now, honestly, and I think I can speak for you too, we don't want to be this way. But it's a reality of our condition. And as we'll see today, the first step in preparing our hearts for a fast, the kind that God desires, is to confront our reality. It's like when my son or daughter comes to me and they've scraped their knee and and they are asking me for a (laughs) Band-Aid. I know that I can't just simply slap a Band-Aid on there. I need to see what they did to their knee. We have to expose it. We have to clean out whatever dirt's in there. And this is what God says to Israel through the prophet of Isaiah. So we're going to look at that today, Isaiah 58. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Um, We're going to go through the whole chapter. Um, I think it's in, in, I was reading this chapter and it was really just, it showed me a lot of things in my life that I want to show you. And it's all about the right way to fast. So this is Isaiah 58. It says this, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me of righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and you oppose all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this day a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, Then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom will be as the noonday. 
and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Would you pray with me, church? So, Lord, I, I read this passage, and I, I, I see it, it confronts a lot of things in my life. I, and I pray that this message and, and this passage, Lord, would impact us greatly, that your spirit would just open up our hearts to, to receive this, this message from your word. Lord, help me to, to just... Be a container that, that you use to give your people your message. Lord, uh, I don't want to hurt anybody and I don't want to offend anybody, Lord, but I want your word to do its work. And I know that sometimes it, it, it does cause offense. But Lord, I pray that it would be covered in grace. And I pray that your word would just show us how, how good you are and that we could hold on to just how much you loved us and how, how much you, you've done for us, Lord. And that that would empower us to live lives obedient to you and live lives that, that would want to know you more and that would delight in your presence. So, Lord, I pray that you would just help us as, as a congregation, as your church, as a family of believers, just to, to receive your word and to understand it greater and help it to impact our lives and the lives of the people around us. In your name we pray, amen. So, in this chapter, um, we're breaking it up into four different points. And if you have your bulletins, you can see those points on the back. Basically, we're going to talk about, um, in the first verse, how we, it exposes and we acknowledge our sin. The second and fourth, second through the fourth verse, we're going to look at examining our heart. From the fifth to the twelfth, fasting and living for a godly purpose. And the thirteenth and fourteenth, the final two verses how we delight in the Lord. And I think it's kind of ironic if, if I would have reordered the things that spells out F-E-E-D, but that's not what this is about today. We're going to try not to focus on food. Um, but the first part, exposing. Um, and this, this is not a comfortable thing to chat about. Um, God's people had strayed so far, and their transgressions, they were blind to their own eyes. That's why God used so many prophets in the Old Testament to speak out. They would literally cry out to the people all the things that they were doing. And it was, it was not something that was very popular to do. Verse 1, let me read it again for you. It, it says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob, their sins. Literally, the text is saying, cry with your throat and not your mouth. 
Now that sounds odd, but what that means is that let this be a cry from the gut. Don't just move your mouth. That can be faked. It can be acted. You know, God, he did not want just religious words of repentance. He wanted a broken cry from people that realized their sin, sin that separated them from God. I don't know. Have you ever cried aloud for the sin in your life like that? I mean, we've said, God, I'm, I'm sorry, but has it really just moved you to want to, to wanna cry with your throat <laughs> for your life or for the sin of somebody else, somebody that you love, somebody that's in your life? Now, honestly, it's so much easier just to ignore it. <laughs> it's so much easier to just pretend to not see that sin because when you address it, something has to be done about it. Isaiah was called to cry out the sins of God's people. It's a horrible burden. One that definitely made people despise him. But notice here, um, I think this is important, church, and that God is calling Isaiah to expose the sins of his people, not the world. The sins of the house of Jacob, Israel. <laughs> These are people that God had called these are people that God had, had said, I'm going to make you a people that are going to bless other nations. I've chosen you. And these were the people that were just living lives just like the world. It was a cry that Isaiah had to make to wake up. He was saying, look how far you've fallen. You were a holy people, and now you act as no different from the world. A lot of times we have this idea that sin is, uh, it's just harmless fun. I'm just having fun. It's just something that, that can pass by. But when, when you look at what it does to our relationship with God, it's, it's not fun. And I'm, I'm not a sinless man. I, I know how many times I've offended God. And it always brings darkness and it always brings death. There's not a harmless sin out there. And these people, the people of God, they had to understand. They had to expose the sin. They had to acknowledge that they had transgressed, that they had made mistakes, and that they needed to repent. That's what God was doing here. He was telling Isaiah to do in the first verse. So the second verse through the fourth, God, he, he, he tells, he wants the people to examine their heart and, and we need to examine the motives that we have, examine our heart. Even when we, we do nice things and this is going to sound really crazy, but we have to even examine why is it that we're coming to church? Why is it that we want to even give to the church? Why is it that we want to volunteer? Why is it that we want to do nice things for other people? Let me read the, the, the verses for us again. Verse 2 says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me of righteous judgments and delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not, the people ask? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and you, press, you oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. 
Now, the people said that they wanted to know God's ways. They wanted to know God. But they were dismayed that God was not answering their prayers. It felt like God was ignoring them. You see, they had it all wrong in their mind. They, they figured out God, they, they thought God was like an arithmetic problem. You know, fasting plus prayer equals I get what I want. God's people were getting really good at going through the motions and, and they were getting upset that God was not serving their needs. They're trying to follow a formula for blessing while living a life totally obsessed with their own pleasures and their own benefits. They're not looking out for their brothers. They were not looking out for the person that, that they were working with. They just wanted to oppress others, and they were looking out for the best for them, for their needs. And I find it so so scary and so painful that they delighted to know his ways, but they lived lives that refused to walk in them. And I think that's a big red flag for me as well. We can, we can want to understand the Bible and we can want to understand what the word says about this or that, yet refuse to walk in them. That's what they were doing. But you know, knowledge must be met with obedience to change your life. It's that they were living self-serving, self-centered lives. And God never intended them to do that. God was the one that was going to be their provider. They didn't need to oppress other people because God was going to give them everything that they needed. And to remind them of this, God had given the people of Israel certain festivals and certain regulations, way to do things. It was to help his people remember him and to see that he always was going to come through. One of these regulations or festivals was a special day called the Day of Atonement. Now, this was the only day in which the high priest could enter the Lord's, um, the tabernacle's inner sanctuary and come before the Ark of the Covenant. Um, if you want to read up about it, it's in Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23. But the high priest, they, what they had to do during this time was they had to observe purifying rituals. And they dressed in special white clothing. They burned incense before the mercy seat and offered sacrifices for, for himself, the priest, his family, and the whole nation of Israel. Then two goats were selected. One goat was condemned as a sin sacrifice for the nation, and the remaining goat was called the scapegoat. I don't know if you've heard um, some, uh, a message on this before or read it in the Bible, but the priest would confess all the sins of Israel holding out his hand over the goat. Think of all the sins of all the people of Israel. And then they would chase the goat off into the wilderness to die. Sounds like a very odd practice. But it was, it was, it was symbolic. And it was meant to, to show what Jesus would one day do for us. Israel was given instructions to afflict or deny themselves on that day of atonement. And that meant denial of food. It was a day separated once a year for Israel to purge their camp to cleanse their camp, to cleanse their lives of all the sin that had been accumulating. This day of atonement was a symbol for what Jesus would do for us, to remind us of God's good faithfulness. And in those regulations and the instructions, the symbol and the promise that, 
would one day show us to be the most selfless, self-sacrificing act of Jesus on the cross. It was meant to, to cleanse their heart so that they had pure motives when they served God. So our third point, fasting and living with a godly purpose. I think it's, um, uh, we, sometimes we, we think of sacrifice in a weird way. And if we were to just look at the definition of what a sacrifice is, it's an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. It's an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else more important, more worthy, something better. Now, I believe we can correctly label fasting as, as a type of sacrifice. We give up something valued for the sake of something more important, more worthy. Let's see what God instructs his people to do, and I'm going to read 5 through 12, so hang in there with me. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your own house? And when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard, and you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking Wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then you shall, your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Now, when we read that, we see that there is a lot of wrong going on in that time. And I don't know if, if, if you've seen what's been happening around us recently, but we do live in a fallen world. I remember just this week, I, I spent one of the mornings reading the news and growing more and more uneasy almost fearful for the world that my kids are growing up in. I mean, there were riots and drone strikes and wildfires and corruption. And if we focus on that and if we focus on all the things that are, are just falling apart around us, it could be very depressing. <laughs> but in reading this passage of Isaiah, it shows me that you know, we're not powerless. The answer does not come from the world. It comes from each one of us. I love what, what God's encouragement is. It's, it's to humble yourself, to mourn your sin, repent, to loose the bonds of wickedness, break every addiction, share with those who have none, 
clothe the poor and help your brother and sister. Stop blaming the world or each other or God and instead look how we have been positioned to bring light and hope into a world of gloom and doom. You know, it's, it's paradox, but the more we try to defend ourselves or make sure that we are on top, the more we, we ruin the world that we live in. You know, fasting, it's a sacrifice. And a sacrifice is giving up something that is good for something that we believe is better. And in order to do that, we must first recognize that we are flawed individuals. We each have very selfish motives, usually. (laughs) And Isaiah encourages people not to just go through the motions. Don't just move your mouth. (laughs) And sunrise, I urge you, don't just go through the motions. Don't just come to church and use God to feel happy and then go about living our lives like he doesn't exist. (laughs) It would be very wrong and incorrect of me if I were to say that God could ever run out of grace and mercy for us. It abounds. (laughs) There's no way we could exhaust his goodness, his love, his grace, and his forgiveness that he has for us. But if we are more intent on serving ourselves and not God, I believe that is a sign as to whom we have made our God. Because, you see, we, we, we are designed to worship. We have this innate desire within us to worship. And what sin does is sin says you should worship yourself. You should worship what you want to do. You should worship what's best for you. That's what most, was most important when God calls us to worship him. Who am I honoring with my life? Who am I actually worshiping in my life? And it all comes down to verse 13, delight. And I want to read these two verses, and it took me a few times to read these two verses for it to to click in my mind, but I I hope that, that we can understand it together. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight... And the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It says that you shall take delight in the Lord by not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. Now, it seems so simple, And God gave his people regulations to follow, and they were designed to bring them closer to him. Yet, God's people look for convenience, for comfort. Now, fasting is is not convenient or comfortable, whether that be a food fast or a social media fast or whatever kind of fast it is that you're thinking of doing. It's designed to not be comfortable. (laughs) But you know what? That's not comfortable, and neither is putting others' needs ahead of yours. And the Sabbath was given to the Israelites to establish that their needs would be met by God. It was a weekly reminder for them to surrender to him. 
to depend on his goodness and his faithfulness. Not because God wanted to control them, but he wanted them to delight in his ways. They wanted to to see that it wasn't because of the work of their hands that was going to give them delight, but it was the Lord that was going to give them delight. That God has given us so many different talents and opportunities to serve not only him, but our community, but that our ultimate delight, it comes from him. And here's a question for you to wrestle with. I've wrestled with it all this week, and I'm going to pass it on to you. I hope you like it. Um, Would I rather delight in the ways of the Lord or delight in the ways of me? Let me rephrase it slightly. If I could have whatever I wanted, would I be okay if I knew that it wasn't what God wanted? Now, that's a question that deserves a little bit of introspection and prayer. (laughs) But think about it. Have you ever gotten exactly what you wanted for Christmas? That gift you'd been waiting for, somebody surprised you with it, or in work. Maybe, maybe you, you really just wanted that promotion in work, and you got it. How long did that feeling of delight last? Now, I'd believe you if you said it lasted for a while, but not if you told me that it lasted forever. So how does this verse, how does this chapter impact our lives today, Sunrise? Why are we talking about this verse in Isaiah, or this chapter in Isaiah, right before we're going into the season of prayer and fasting? Because I think it's very important that we don't just go through the motions of it. So I'll ask you, have, have your sins been exposed in your life? Have you seen them? And you know that it doesn't belong there. And maybe you need help because you don't know how to rid your life of it, or maybe it's really complicated and you just don't even know where to start. (laughs) Maybe it's a battle that you've struggled with all your life. I, I suggest don't try to do it alone. This is precisely what this whole chapter in Isaiah 58 has been about. Look at the needs of someone else. And let someone else look after you. Find a friend. Find somebody here that can, that can pray for you during this fast. And have them maybe, and you can pray for them as well. But don't just go through the motions of this time of, of prayer and fasting without, without first uncovering and exposing the sin that's in your life. Cleanse your life of the things that lead to death. We should examine our motives Do your motives, does your heart match God's heart? Does it express a heart that desires and honors God? Or is there some sort of ulterior motive that's sort of controlling what you do? What's your motive for fasting? Why do you want to perhaps give up what you're thinking about giving up? Jesus in um, Matthew 6 told us that when we fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, 
and that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by the Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, fasting, it's, it's a private decision that you're going to make. Now, you can tell a couple people if you want to, to hold you accountable, but note Jesus' warning here. It's between you and God. Fast something that's a, that's a real sacrifice for you. Now, I honestly, I cannot fast exercising because I don't exercise. But what inconveniences me? What makes me uncomfortable? And then I don't, I can't just wallow in discomfort. <laughs> I can't complain all day about, oh man, I can't wait. It's just 20 more days until I can have this again. <laughs> but let that move you to pray. <laughs> Let that be, be something that actually brings delight in your life. That sounds odd, but let me explain. You cannot complain and delight in the Lord at the same time. When your stomach growls, let that be a reminder to pray for a friend. When you desire to jump on social media, let that be a call to pray for your family. And when you want to give up, thank Jesus for not giving up on us and for taking your sin on his shoulders. Thank him for the cross. <laughs> Remember his life, his death, his resurrection, and just praise him for it. We should thank him that his sacrifice, that he saw, he had something incredible. I mean, we had the king of kings with us. That was incredible. But he made a sacrifice. As incredible as a king of kings was, here with us on earth, he knew that there was something greater, something better, that we needed a savior. We needed to be washed clean. We needed atonement for our sins, and only he could do that. 